I'm gonna trick former guest Ben into making us a theme song. That's it. Okay. Better, closer, warmer. Uh, all modern art is communistic. I want to be the first man to nut in space. Fuck you. Fuck off. Where are we finding it? Why can't we Better, find it? Closer, Why do you guys warmer. keep saying all this change? We're playing Fortnite. Let's have fun. We need to get to that post-World War II mentality where Better, closer, no one in the warmer. world is going to Twitch and typing in climate first. Don't tweet us about how our stuff's inaccurate. At this point, I don't think the N-word tape would change anything. The piss tape might. From New Orleans to New York. It's the Alienos Podcast, baby. Dude, that was TNT. Welcome back to the Alienos Podcast. I'm Smith. I'm Seth. Oh. We have a guest this week. And we have a guest. Because we've we've switched up the format a little bit. Mm. Normally on the Alienos, we do hard-hitting journalism. The bleeding edge of what is going on in the left. And the rest of the world, but today we're, we we want to watch a damn movie. We were like, right. you know what? Let's watch movies that kind of represent some of our views, made by you know uh, filmmakers who we kind of agree with on things, and maybe have a message that we can agree with. And whenever we do an episode about movies, we gotta bring in Mister Movie. Introduce yourself, Mister Movie. Hey, all, I'm Mister Movie. Apparently, uh, it's me, Ben, uh, the Ben Powell on Twitch, uh, and uh, I know I know we're here to talk about a certain movie. And, like, that's great and all, but I propose before the show, maybe we switch it up and actually talk about John Wick Chapter 4 instead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which would be a great podcast, because one of the three of us has not seen it. Yes. <laughs> and we but can just say anything. <laughs> that would be a good, that would be part, a good game. That'd be a good podcast. Mm-hmm. It, we review a movie, but one person hasn't seen it, and you have to guess which one it is. <laughs> the part where John Wick fights Loch Ness Monster is pretty fucking crazy, Wait, in my s- opinion. I thought Did Ben was the one that hadn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see it coming at all. But they did. They did just straight up copy the boss fight from Resident Evil Four. So I don't know what they were doing there. There, there exactly is one fight. scene that had a, some Resident Evil energy for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about it once you once you watch <laughs> it. Okay. But instead, today we're going to talk about uh, "Sorry to Bother You," movie from 2018, directed by Boots Riley who is a longtime uh, socialist man on the left, has a uh, musical group called The Coup, which he's the lead singer of, and has been trying to be a filmmaker for a very long time in 2018. Sorry to bother you, it was his directorial debut. He also wrote the script. The script had actually been written for about six years before the movie got made, um, and was actually published in full in a magazine at one point um, for people to just take a look at. And it finally got funding around 2018, and uh, we're here to talk about that movie. So... Real quick, before we even start, Smith, I know you'd seen Sorry to Bother You before. We had talked about it in 2018. Ben, had you seen this movie before? Yeah, uh, I, I can't remember if I saw it in 2018 or 2019, but I saw it within the year or so it came out. I th- it was on Hulu, okay. I believe, at the time, and now it's on Tubi, which is how I watched it today. Nice, nice. How is Tubi? Uh... <laughs> It, I mean, it's fine. Like, you get a bunch of free stuff. You get ads and stuff in between. But the ads aren't as egregious as, uh, say, like, uh, Hulu. If you have the ad-supported tier. Like, they space them out, like, every 15 to 20 minutes or so if you're watching a movie. So it's not, like, every five minutes or so. But apparently, the streaming, uh, when it comes to streaming stuff, it has a cap at 720p. So, you know, you're not you're not really getting the full quality of your film. But you are getting it for free. So that 
for yeah, free. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, it's a blessing and a curse, I'll and say hey, that. If there's anything that the characters in this movie would want, it was a free streaming service. Absolutely. absolutely. So, it's for the cause. Um, I did it for the cause. Yeah. So what, what were your thoughts when you first saw the movie, Ben? Um, I mean... If you remember. I, I remember... I remember enjoying it. Uh, I can't remember if I knew. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail about the twist, but like, I don't know if I knew about the twist before I watched it. All I knew was something crazy happened. And uh, I was a little caught off guard by that. I don't remember loving it, honestly, but I do, I do remember liking it and really appreciating what it was trying to do. It just had some like little issues here and there that I just had a hard time getting past. That's fair. Yeah, I saw it in theaters pretty much the first day that it was available to see in the theater near me. And I I brought a friend along. It was a guy I was working with at the time who told me that he was really into movies. And he saw him often. So I'm like, hey, you want to go see Sorry to Bother You? He's like, sure. And now this guy, he's from a foreign country, so he's not super familiar with a lot of American movies. Um, but he was getting into it and everything. And I remember watching this movie with him. We all know what happens in this mm-hmm. movie. And... When we got out of the, he didn't say, he didn't like literally laugh or like say anything the whole movie. And we get out of the theater and I'm like, what did you think? And he just, he was silent for a good five to 10 seconds and was like, it was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting take on Sorry to Bother. What a way to describe it. Critics are calling it nice. Nice. (laughs) Dot, 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 nice. But the dot, dot, dot isn't like hiding things like it normally does. It's, it was diegetic. It's part of the review. All right, Smith. How about you? All I remember is when I saw it, I saw it in the nicest theater I've seen a movie in my entire life. It had reclining seats and you could let up the legs on them too. It was ridiculous. Nice. And I heard that there were about 20 minutes of of trailers beforehand for movies that I have never seen before and have never seen again. Movies that do not exist. they do. There's one about a boy who's a ghost in a house, but it's all like serious and shit. And one about a guy who gets stopped by a cop, and then the cop dies somehow, and he it turns into a whole crime story. Him on the run. Movies that I have never heard. I of truly again. can't identify these movies I, from what you've just looked fascinating. I think I know the second one you're talking about. I think I think Daniel Kaluuya was in that one, but I can't remember the name off the tip of my off the top of my head. If he's in that movie, that would be the craziest thing in the entire world because it, it had nobody I'd ever seen in my entire life. Mm. In this movie, um, it was it was very low fi very low budget, like this movie is. Yeah, in a way. yeah. But yeah, um, so, watched yeah. It again recently. Nice. I on, I on the Blu-ray, so I just watched it on that. It was pretty great. Oh wow, Mister Man over here. I had to. I didn't know that it was on Tubi because I always forget the Tubi mm. exists. So I just I had to rent it on the internet. So I paid some money for it, but it was good. Now we're, I, lo- I really do love this movie. I, I really liked it the first time I saw it. Um, I think that it has, I think like what Ben mentioned, I think it has a lot of problems, but like truly it does have some problems. But for me, it's just one of those things where I just love it more because of them. Like it is a bit of a mess, but something about the final product, even with all the flaws, just really works for me. Um, but I can, I can definitely see. So for people who aren't <laughs> super aware of the movie, you should, you should watch it before you listen to this. Um, yes. But yeah, it's directed by, written and directed by Roots Riley. It's got Lakeith Stanfield, mm-hmm. Tessa Thompson, Stephen Yun, uh, a fucking Army Hammer, Army Hammer, Terry Crews, Danny Glover, Danny Glover, uh, Amari, Amari Hardwick. Hardwick. I was forgetting his last name. Yes, Amari Hardwick. Um, his brother Chris has that famous. Show. Yeah, yeah, Chris Hardwick <laughs> and Amari Hardwick, fam- famously brothers. 
<laughs> you, you, you couldn't tell, yeah. though. Uh, Chris got the looks in the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and basically it's about a, a guy who is a telemarketer or gets a job as a telemarketer. And realizes, finds out through Danny Glover, as we all do in mm. life, we find out things through Danny Glover of telling course. us. Because mm. he's a because the Lakeith Stanfield is a black man, he finds out that if he puts on a white voice and sounds weirdly like David Cross, then he will uh, be more successful as a telemarketer. And it works, and he rises up the ranks, and things get a little different once you're at the top of the chain. I just want to say this real quick. Danny Glover taught me all about uh, diplomatic immunity. That's how I learned about yes. it and the concept. So it's been revoked, Mister Glover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I did want to before we get into everything. I did want to give a quick shout out to Danny Glover for being absolutely phenomenal anytime he's on screen. Mm-hmm. I, I really love the guy, and I thought he was one of the strong performers in this movie, despite having a very very small role. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed by the way this time is his outfits. Did you notice his outfit? The bolo. He does a bolo bolo. tie halfway through. Yes, that was so good. For no reason. I was like, all right. I mean, he didn't have a reason to have bolo tie on, but I was like, man, what a choice. I I, I love it. Yeah. But in the setup for the movie, you find out that um, Lakeith Stanfield's character, whose name I'm forgetting for some, Cash, Cassius, Mm. is, you know, pretty much in poverty. He lives in the garage of his uncle's house, played by Terry Crews. And not only can Cash not really afford rent, but his family can't really afford to pay for the house anyway, so they're all getting foreclosed on. And there is a solution to their problems, which is to work at a place called Worry Free. Hmm. Which, yes. what's the deal with Worry Free? I mean, Worry Free is just, it, it, it's an interesting point, right? Because they're, they're, they're signing lifetime contracts to work there. They house you, feed you, and you work all day in one of their sweatshops or whatever. And it's a very interesting uh, uh, concept. Low running through the movie is like it's kind of like an Amazon type type of, of thing. It's kind of like an Amazon meets like the that kind of that WeWork culture that, that Adam Newman guy always talked about. Mm. It's kind of like a combination of those two things. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a very dystopian thing happening in the background. Yeah. So basically, you know, you can just sign your life away, and they will feed you and clothe you for the rest of your life, and you just work for them. Doing what? Well, we find out a little later on in the movie. Um, but basically that's kind of the solution. That's kind of like the scapegoat or not scapegoat, kind of like the escape plan. Some people have when they're, they've been too, uh, you know, wrenched on by capitalism. They decided to sign up for the, the most capitalist thing possible. And they're like, at least I'll have a place to sleep. And that's kind of something that happens to people every day in the real life. And luckily there is no worry free in the real life. So we have to solve our problem. Yeah. Not yet. Yet. I think um, Amazon and Tesla this. and Google and Apple and probably Hulu, uh, they want to <laughs> that, that, that that's something they yeah. want to get on, in on. Uh, I think that's like the dream for them at this point, because I've heard I've heard people like Elon Musk talk about something similar to this. Yeah, he said it in no uncertain terms that basically this is something that he would. Yeah, have. but it's it's the same thing where like. The thing that infuriates me the most is if you were to sit down with someone like Elon Musk, which, please God, I hope that doesn't happen to anyone. If you had to sit down with him and watch this movie and tell him, by the way, you're Army Hammer, he would be like, no, 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 no. Come on. That's that's too outlandish. What I do is way different. But in reality, they're the same guy. Pretty much. You know, Army Hammer, you can call him a character like a, a caricature, but not by much. Not by much. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. 
Only difference between the two is in this movie, Army Hammer is actually a good-looking human being. It's pretty much the only difference. Yes. And he actually seems a little um, charming, as opposed to Elon, who's exactly. just like <laughs> a wet paper bag. Yeah. The most just just limp, limp dick person in the entire world. Have you seen, um, the, have you seen also, the video of that dude like dancing at a Tesla conference? No. Uh, like it... Uh, I, I didn't listen to the video with audio because I didn't want to cringe. But you see him like up yeah. there moving around and someone retweeted it and said, uh, this guy just made Bill Gates look like Elvis. <laughs> Was it, is it Elon, Elon you're talking about? Yeah. Wow. Mm. I can only imagine the uh, the moves that Elon has. I mean, you think about it, at least Bill Gates has like that sort of like nerd vibe yeah. going on. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. have that. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't have that. Elon Musk tries to be the cool guy because, like we've said on this right. podcast about ten thousand times, the two things Elon Musk wants to be are cool and funny. But he's found out he can't buy any of that. Um, but there is an interesting thing later on in the movie when um, when Detroit is is angry with uh, Cash for his decision to become a power caller, you know, and work selling slave labor for worry free. Yeah, he he says, "What is slave labor?" And he's trying to deflect, but it's actually an interesting point. Uh, what is slave labor in in the modern day, right? Like, is wage sla- is wage labor not just slavery with extra steps? Because if you don't work for a wage, you don't engage in the economy, you just die. So, what choice do you really have in the situation? So, just yeah. saying, it's interesting. It's an interesting question that he he poses there in a way. You are forced to work, and you don't. You are not entitled to share in profits in any way. So. You can't, there's a lot, and a lot of times there's no real upward mobility for lots of people who just work for, you know, minimum wage jobs or fixed wage jobs. You can't really, you know, get more money than you would any other day by being better at your job or working more. There's no real way to do that. So it's kind of like, you just kind of stagnate. And yeah, I mean, you know, once, like you said, he's trying to deflect, but you know, there's, there's a bit of realism and a lot of stuff that we say during those times. So I agree. But yeah, so the power caller thing is the big crux yeah. of the movie at one point is that he gets promoted basically. After okay, so we should talk about we talk about squeeze real fast. Yes, yes, yes. We talk about squeeze. squeeze. Squeeze played by I think at this point, now that Will Smith is in the the the, the gulag, America's favorite actor, Stephen Young. <laughs> I, I can make this statement that if you ask any random person on the street who their favorite actor is, Stephen Young would come up enough. To where he'd be number one. Mm-hmm. He was beloved on The Walking Dead. I'm just saying. His death, a lot of people were fucking pissed by him dying. Yeah, whoa, whoa, I haven't gotten there yet. Whoa. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. calm down. I'm still working Glenn, on The Walking I'm, Dead. I'm just saying, there's Daryl and there's Glenn for a lot of people who are just like, those are my two boys. What was Glenn's last just name? Saying. Right now. Do either of you know? Danzig. Hart. Was it really? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Musician. Because they're doing a spin-off. Has a last name. They're doing a spin-off of The Walking Dead called Daryl Nixon, where it's just oh. Daryl. So like, wouldn't it be funny if they did a st- spin-off called Glenn? <laughs> yeah. Glenn Howerton. Where <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Howerton plays Stephen Young playing Glenn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. But yeah, so um Squeeze is in the picture. He's, you know, after after you know, you kind of get the idea of what telemarketers have to go through every day. He's like, by the way. That had to be like this. We could form, t- and he has to like kind of use sly words because he doesn't work for place. So basically, he's like, we can get together and bargain c- 
collectively wink for some of the stuff that we want. Um, I believe there's a name for guys who do this, right? Guys who go to, go around places and help form unions. What's the term? Yeah, there's a name for it. They're they're basically there's there's they're agitators. What they are? They're professional agitators. agitators. Yes. They they go around and they start unionization efforts by infiltrating his places essentially it sounds more sinister than it really is but yeah it should sound i'm gonna break into that motherfucker <laughs> and give those workers all the rights they've ever wanted and they're not gonna be able to do shit about it they're gonna be so happy when i'm done with them oh yeah. they're gonna be begging me to take their yeah. rights away and i'm gonna tell them no you're gonna be way happier i promise and they're like i don't believe you so yeah so squeeze gets his rocks off by helping people because he's a sadistic fucker. <laughs> and, <laughs> Sick bastard. Yeah. So he decides to organize a, you know, phones down, no one work for the 20, the 20 busiest minutes of the day, and we're going to show them what's going on. Well, we should say, by the way, the movie has a, a bold choice here of making the central effort to unionize telemarketers yes. one of the least useful occupations that humans have ever come up with. Yeah. Um, pure busy work, absolute nonsense, bullshit that shouldn't exist. But so, it is one of the easiest jobs you can go up off the street and get as true. quickly as possible. Well, the choice to do that is very important, I think, yes. to show you that any kind of work is still, you know, necessary to organize. You know, like, your job shouldn't exist, sure, but you still have rights while it has to exist for whatever reason. So there is that. Yeah. So after the, they do the strike and it, you know, seems to have worked well enough. But then after, when, once all that's happening, they're bringing people into the office. They tell Cash, hey, you're getting promoted, you're a power caller. And people have claimed that being a power caller is a myth. That's not a real thing. No one really does that. That's all fake. So he gets you to try and work harder. But he gets, he becomes one, which means he gets to go onto the this golden elevator, go to the top of the building, and make these power calls. This is where Amari Hardwick's character comes in. Um, and he astoundingly sounds like Patton Oswalt for some reason. Um, has an eye patch. Has an first of all, one of the coolest looks in the movie yeah. is Amari Hardwick. I think Amari Hardwick has his facial hair looks like CGI to me because it looks too perfect. Every time I've seen him on screen, I'm like, "There's no way that somebody can actually do this with like a straight razor. It's impossible." Mm-hmm. He's one of the most intriguing characters in the entire movie, and we learn nothing about him. He's he's still a mystery no. by the end of it, and I kind of respect that. Yeah. So we find out that the power callers and the, the telemarketers, they're selling encyclopedias. That's what they're starting out with. The baseline is you're selling encyclopedias. The power callers are selling like the rights to slave labor to make nuclear weapons <laughs> and, and like cell phones and predator drones for other countries. So it's a it's a big step up. And there's this incredible scene where Amari Hardwick is explaining all this stuff. And behind him is just footage of war crimes, basically. Mm. And he's just be, he's just standing right in front of it and being like, by the way, here's your starting salary. Sign mm. on. And so Cash, you know, taking taking the, the the carrot on the stick that, you know, people do get offered to them in, the, in capitalism sometimes is like, that's a lot of money. That's going to change my entire life. I'm there. I got two notes here real fast. Yeah. First of all. Uh, I think her name is Kate Berlant. Is the, great. Um, yes, the semi manager or whatever from downstairs takes cash upstairs. Yeah. And one thing is, she says to him, she she uses the, the word motherfucker, but she says it motherfucker, right? Yeah. In in, in uh, uh, Ebonics, I guess she would say. 
And I was reminded of one time of this black comedian who said that if you want to know if your white friends are racist or not, like try and hear them say the word motherfucker behind your back. Do they say it like like we do or whatever? And I was like, I've never done that in my entire life. I the way I say this is I say it motherfucker. Yes. You put the emphasis that way. I I don't think I can I I don't even think I could pull it off. Not I even want right. to, but it just doesn't sound right no. when it, when you when you say it. I feel like I put too much it's the one time when white people should say the hard R rather than an A. <laughs> what do you know? put it? It's a weird, it's a weird situation that mm-hmm. one. And, and the other note is that when she's in the elevator, she's punching in the code, and the code is <laughs> like so, sixty digits long. It's so long. <laughs> but then later on, then later on, this is the funny thing is when Amari Hardwick is telling Cash where to go in Steve Lift's house, it's just an incredibly convoluted take a left, go down the stairs, go up the stairs you see there, make a right, jade door on the left or whatever. Yeah. Nonsense. And I was like, this this weird thing of very complicated directions for some reason to things. Yeah. It's like a running theme. Yeah, Kate Burlett really sells the putting in that long ass code thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. this can't be easy to act against, but it was it was really good and yeah there's i think that's there's a bit of a message there of like the weird like serpentine patterns you have to get into to work with these big cap like you every time you read a interview about like warren buffett or something it's like he'll only eat eggs at 7 12 a.m if you give him to him anytime after he actually kills one of his servants and you're like oh wow that's really really crazy uh, but it just seems to kind of be their whole thing is they have to like kind of make a mythos around themselves and Steve Lift does it to a, a whole new level in this movie. I mean, the first thing, one of the great touches is when you first see an interview with him. By the way, Steve Lift is the CEO of Worry Free and the guy that, you know, Cash now works for. First time you see an interview of him on TV, he's just like, basically, like, oh, yeah, it's great slave labor. It's so fun. And two, here's my book, if you want to know how I did it. And I really loved, um, I loved that touch because that's what they do. That's how the grifters work in real life. Yeah, I... Also, go ahead. Yeah, one thing uh, I really appreciate about this movie is it like it really emphasizes how we kind of live in a world where I feel like it's 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 shifting the other way now. But for a long time, we lived in a world where what a rich person what a rich person in power said was you know the way to do things. Like you like yeah, he says some horrendous shit in this movie, and everyone just starts celebrating him. It's like oh man, this is such a great idea. He's such an innovator. And it's like, what, what the hell yeah. is going on here? And I feel like we're definitely starting to shift the other direction with that, where more people are skeptical about what these people, what people in power are saying. But there was a time back then, it's like, well, he has a billion dollars, so obviously he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. It's like the great line in uh, Glass Onion, when Kate Hudson is just like, oh, it's so <laughs> it's so dumb. He's a genius. And Bill no, was like, no, he's, he's just, just dumb. dumb. <laughs> I like how you decided to do um, a British accent for Daniel Craig, who was famously doing a Kentucky accent. No, it was Southern. I just didn't have enough words to get it out. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I also liked, because this is an underutilized aspect of the film. This, this is one of the problems I have with it, by the way, mm-hmm. is that is Cash, when he talks on the phone to people, he is transported physically to their location. Yeah. Like, in, in, a, I guess in a spiritual sense, he's there looking at them. And it's used pretty well for about three times you see it, and then a fourth maybe. But then, like, you see it again when he's power caller. He's in the bathroom with a Japanese guy selling him cell phone labor. Yeah. And just one thing I've noticed since I have now joined an elite club is the man has a bidet on yeah. his toilet. And Cash turns it full blast onto his butthole. Which, by the way, 
Be careful with that, folks. You, yes. you, can, you, can, really, you can bruise you really yourself. You can get you can get some, you can grout yourself a little bit with that thing. But yeah, I appreciate that little detail. But yeah, they, they should have done more of that, I think. Yeah. Cash's ability to sort of like yeah. transport should have done more. Because one important thing about the movie is that it has a bit of a, it has like magical realism. Yes. First of all, a lot of the stuff is heightened. Like it's supposed to be set basically in the modern day. But, you know, we've already basically the television they watch has already reached like idiocracy levels. You know, if you've ever seen yeah. that movie. Like the the biggest show in America is called what what's it called? Watch somebody get the shit beat out of me. I got the shit kicked out of me. I got the shit kicked out of me, and it's just somebody like getting I mean brutalized mm-hmm. on television every night. That's like the yeah. whole thing. Um, all the advertisements are like completely over the top. There's like a worry free crib show. I think it's called Spots. Yeah. <laughs> it's just because you don't really have a crib, you just have a spot. <laughs> um, and so like we've kind of already reached that level. So there's a lot of magical realism, a lot of fantastical elements um so yeah him transported into places and things like that just kind of happen throughout the movie but it's never i do agree that's my one i I really like it as a decision but i do think they could have stuck with it a little bit more throughout the movie i think it sometimes i mean movie takes some pretty crazy turns into what is the magical realism realism Mm. (laughs) if that's a thing Mm. um so I can see kind of why, maybe they, why they tone it down a little bit, but I do kind of wish they would have leaned harder. But yeah, it. that's kind of like my biggest issue with the movie is it takes these big swings and then it feels like it either gives up or abandons them halfway through. Or it's just like they had a lot of ideas and they didn't want to keep up and they didn't want to uh, keep up with it. Like the whole scene where he first becomes a power caller is showing how he's transitioning from the garage to living in a nice apartment and it's showing like physically like his big box TV physically splits open and the widescreen TV folds yeah. up from the table and the same with the lamp and you can see the sides of the bed fold up into a bigger bed and like then you don't see anything like that again for the rest of the movie and I'm not yeah because it was a really cool scene where they were using these physical props like doing actual physical transitions and mm-hmm. it was cool but I do see what you I mean. I feel like if you really want more of a consistent tone, you probably should have done something like that maybe a couple more times. It's a problem that I have with like uh, a few movies in the past, mainly like Adam McKay movies, like like with Vice. Mm. And uh, especially Vice, I thought was really guilty of this because it felt like four different styles folded into one. I can't, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so I can't properly explain it. But it takes like a bunch of different wild editing styles and combines them all together. It's not consistent. Kind of the same kind of the same way I felt with a Don't Look Up, which I liked more, but I also had a few problems with that. So it kind of reminded me of that in, in a little bit. Like I know that this movie's budget was only like $3 million, so you can't get too crazy. And yeah, yeah that... And plus, it has, it has a lot of first movie yeah. energy. It's like Boots Rally clearly has a ton of mm-hmm. ideas, and since his ideas are so wild, I feel like maybe he was like, "I might never get to make another movie ever again." So let me just go ahead and throw everything yeah. into this one, which I understand. I can't really fault him yeah, for that. Same, um, but I do see it. But because of that, and a lot of people's first movies are this way, where they just kind of seem like a bunch of ideas and not really, you know, not too coherent. Sometimes. Yeah, I, I experienced the same so. thing when I when I was making my. Uh, student film at college I, I had such big ideas i want to do this i want to do this i want to rent a van and we're going to use the van and then there's going to be a there's going to be a shootout at the end of it and then they had to remind me you do not have a budget whatsoever and yeah. you do not have these resources you need to take all of this trim it in half and sometimes people still come in with those ideas and of course he had more money than i did i barely had like a hundred bucks and he had three million dollars but you know like yeah, like you said, it's a it's like big first movie energy where you have a lot of ideas, but you can only execute a few of them. 
but then again, like it's not that big of a problem for me to like say, man, this sucks. That scene when the 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 the, the furniture transforms into the new apartment, you don't remind me of very very closely. What? A very famous movie, Eternal uh, mm. Sunshine of the Mind. Yes, when the bed especially transforms, I get those vibes. Which is referenced later on in the stop motion claymation film. Uh, says written about by Michael Dongry, which is a reference to, to Michelle Michael Gond- Gondry. Michelle Gondry, yes, yeah, who made Sunshine Eternal Sunshine of Mind, <clears throat> and is is referenced here. I thought it was pretty good. Like clearly, Boots had an inspiration by this, but like you said, it's used that one time and it never comes back. And it feels like there's like always as said, it's like you said packed in here that he just tried to get all of them in at the same time. And yeah. There's no consistent language, I think, to the movie because of that. And that's why I'm very excited for his new um, TV show he's doing on Amazon called I'm a Virgo about a man who is 13 feet tall. And yes. uh, it looks crazy. <laughs> so I'm excited to see if, um, first of all, how he translates into television. It's always harder, like not harder, but very different to make. And if he can uh, refine some of these ideas, because I think they're I think they're really cool. And one one other thing that I really liked about once they get to the top floor, and it's it's cool to me because it's kind of like a parting of the kimono. Because once you're in the top floor, there's no pretense anymore. It's just it's not like oh yeah, you know we're selling um uh, you know assets to a company that does like you know arms deals. It's like no, you're selling. Nuclear weapons manufacturing made by slave labor to a company that wants to bomb, you know, a bunch of innocent people in a church. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. And they don't, there's no, um, there's no sugar coating anything. And it kind of feels like that's, I mean, once again, none of us in this room know it. Boots Rally probably doesn't even know it, but it's like, that's kind of the, what you imagine when you think about what the rich people actually talk Like Once it's just them in the room and no one else is listening you have to imagine that's kind of how they talk to each other because they're probably even they're probably tired of just bullshitting around everything all the time. So I kind of like the way that it was just like as soon as he got on the top floor, you're out. You're out of the woods. Also, one interesting thing about, about the movie um, is there's a very quick scene right when this happens when Cash makes his first sale. And it's like, hey, I need an advance, right? I need money for my, my, my uncle's house. You see him give the check to to Terry Crews. He's excited, obviously, to to get this check. <clears throat> But in the background, y'all notice this. One of his sons, I suppose, is exercising while using VR. Yeah. This? Mm-hmm. Yes, I didn't notice this. <clears throat> this is 2018. This is before the VR thing really took off in the way that it has now, right? I thought that was just a very oddly out of place, forward thinking kind of a thing to like include as a, as a, as a complete background. Element, yeah. You know? yeah. You know what that reminds me of? This is completely, I don't know if anybody will agree with this, but you know, the movie It Follows, yes. obviously, mm-hmm. right? You guys have seen that. You know the e-reader that girl uses that looks like a little clamshell? Yeah. yeah. Every time I watch that movie, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is that thing? Like, this is like holographic, exactly. right? It's, not, it, it's like, and it's not like anything we really use because it's a horrible way to read books. Yes. Books are not shaped like clamshells for a reason. So it's like right. such a weird decision, this fictional thing. I'm just like, every time I watch it, I'm just like, you know, this monster is following people. Yeah, that's crazy. What the fuck is that e-reader thing? 
Like, how did how did they think of like, this? It, 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 it's not just something that randomly happened because like there's a whole process that goes into it. Like the 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 you know the writer writes it out, and then like the props department has to put this together, and this goes through like several lines of approval for it to end up on the movie, and for you to ask. What the fuck is that thing? So obviously a lot of people were thinking about this, but we still don't understand why it's there. Yeah. And that has bothered <laughs> me so long that I just, I've had this, I've, this is going to sound absolutely fucking psychotic, but mm-hmm. stay with me here. I just wish there was a, a moment I could just, I could just kidnap the director of that film and just like put a gun to his head and be like, what was the clamshell thing in the movie? Why was it there? Tell me, you bastard. Tell me. I just have to know. It's torturing. I just want to say this is why we have Mr. Movie Ben on the podcast. He gives us the inside baseball of yep. the steps of getting a clamshell e-reader into a movie. And I, re- I really... That's right. That. As a, as a yeah. former co-star of such classes as The Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, I have gained a... Yes. You have been in a movie with a man who has done no wrong, Shia exactly. LaBeouf. Yeah, he, yes. done, he shook my hand and looked me in the eyes and said, how you doing this morning? He has done no wrong in my eyes. Uh... <laughs> I also got to watch Jake the Snake Roberts be suspended over a wrestling ring in a harness for half a day uh, on day one. So, And that wasn't even on a set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's just what he does to unwind. He does that and smokes a cigarette. Uh, but what were we talking about? <laughs> I don't know that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking right. about Terry Crews' yeah. son having VR. Yeah, that's on. right. Also, yeah. one thing that was kind of cool about this movie that you don't see very often is that the person that I assume is supposed to be Terry Crews' wife in the movie, she's jacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she could like she could like pop your mm-hmm. head off. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's cool. You know, a lot of times movies kind of shy away from having like actually muscular women in movies, and I thought it was cool that Terry Crews, a man who was very muscular himself, was like in a movie with like married to a woman who's also very mm-hmm. muscular. I thought that was kind of cool yeah. touch. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff happens in that two second scene that we're inside yeah. the house. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, there's just like, and I mean, in terms of like uh, the plot of the film, uh, yeah. uh, um, after the power caller thing happens, he starts having falling out with his, with his friends, obviously, because he's he's moving into an echelon of society, the petite bourgeois, and his friends are remaining proletariat, and they are there's a conflict there. There's also this running subplot about this uh, organization called Left Eye which is this, like, um, anarchist sort of, like, collective or whatnot who is running around vandalizing a very Banksy-style uh, um, um, stuff, which is never properly explored. We know Detroit, who is Cash's girlfriend, it, um, is part of it at a certain point, but we don't really see a whole lot from that, and I wanted more of that to show up at a certain in the movie. You yeah, know? I was kind of hoping they would help out maybe with the final conflict or something, but it just kind of seemed like it was supposed to be kind of like a Banksy meets Antifa kind of thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very Banksy because remember in Steve Lift's house, the apartment, he has one of their vandalized paintings like displayed as a as a trophy now. So it's very Banksy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Also wanted to point out a nice line. It might have happened in the scene where he talks about slave labor. Uh, what is slave labor? But can we say it at the same time? Can we say it at the same time? Uh, I haven't written down. Yeah. Okay. All she right. says one, one two. two Three. You sidestep more than the fucking temptations. temptations. (laughs) Yes! Right here as well. Yeah. I was like, that's good. That's like, it's not like the most clever joke in the world, but it's just a home run one-liner. It is. Um, (sighs) So I I, I liked that. Um, And so yeah, things develop and it, it gets basically the, it comes to a head when Tessa Thompson's character, Detroit, is like, you know what? 
I can't do this shit anymore. You're the power caller. You're selling slave labor. This is fucked up. And then she starts having a bit of a romantic entanglement with Squeeze. Because, I mean, who wouldn't want to get on Stephen right. Young? Who wouldn't want to squeeze of that? Exactly. The squeeze of that Steve. I just want to say there's a point in the movie before that when he's on TV. They're, they're filming the, the protest, the, the strike outside of the, the uh, yes. Regal View headquarters. And he goes on this weird tangent about <laughs> getting STDs and getting treated for them by the doctor or whatever. Yes. And it's this weird... And everyone's kind of like confused as to why he's doing this. And when I first saw it, I couldn't figure out why he did that. But boys, I know the answer now to why that is in the movie. And it's because leftist organizers are fucking weirdos sometimes. <laughs> in fact, all the time. Almost every single leftist person I've ever met in my entire life has some weird pet issue on the side that somehow works its way into their <laughs> politics. Yeah. And it's always funny to see. That's, that, that's a yeah. cool touch. And yeah, so at one of these protests, uh, Cash gets hit in the head with a can, and it gets brought up a whole lot called, the, what is it? The Let's have a cold soda bitch. and smile bitch. Yes, have a soda and smile bitch. He gets, he has, if you've ever seen the poster for the movie, he usually has a bandage on his head, that's because that's when he gets hit with the can, and for a, a lot of the rest of the movie, he has that bandage on. It's kind of an, an iconic look he has, and it becomes a big meme. It turns out that she was working with... The cola company the whole time to make this viral moment. Well, I thought that she just got recruited. That's like, what she went. She went big. That's what I think happened. I think that the cola company reached out to her and was like, "Hey, by the way, we'll pay you this much if you pretend this was a marketing stunt." Um, right. Which is an even more cynical way to look at this whole thing, really. Yeah. Um, the and then uh, it's very there's the, the racial coding of the of them having like wigs and like his hair and all that yeah it's, you see there's like children who up. are lined up dressed up as him like with the afro and everything um, white children I should say we should note by the way that Detroit has one big problem with cash and it's also him using the white voice uh, in yes. times when they're together and whatnot and it's not not a and it becomes to a point where you find out this he doesn't even realize he's doing it because it becomes so mm -hmm. part so much part of his personality. But then at her art show, because she's also an artist, she goes up on stage and she uses the white voice as well. Yeah. Her mm -hmm. own version of it. Which, by the way, reminded me of Glass Onion, the rich bitch voice. They, they, they discussed yes. in that movie. Yes. Same basic concept, right? The fact about that is I have the cast list pulled up here. Uh, Y'all want to know who Detroit's white voice actor is? <sighs> who is it? No, I wish. Uh, it's Lily oh. James. Oh, yeah. wow. She, she's huh. listed credit as Detroit's white voice. Now, my question is, in all of these cast lists, I have not seen anyone for, like, Langston's white voice, Danny uh, Danny Glover, when he does it at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, who I know is his why. white voice? That, it was actually done by a sound engineer. Oh, okay. Huh. Uh, not very interesting, but that's something that... Because apparently when they were doing press for the movie, people kept trying to guess who Danny Glover's white voice was because everyone was credited. And Boots Riley was just like, yeah, it's just one of our sound guys who had a, had a funny voice. Because at first so. it sounded like yeah. Aziz Ansari. And that's why I thought it's like, hmm, that wait a minute. <laughs> it would be really funny to cast Aziz Ansari as someone's white yeah. voice. <laughs> the, yes. the layers behind that joke would be so funny. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, it's a sound guy. Okay, interesting. So Ben, one day, if you become a sound guy... You might get to play Danny, Glo Danny Glover's. Oh, that's white my voice. dream. That's my dream to be yeah. a black man's white voice. It should be by the way. Danny Glover is pretty uh, active in leftist yeah. Uh, yeah. politics. He himself is a socialist who has attended a lot of events and is mm -hmm. pretty influential. Can we get uh, 
Danny Glover, Danny DeVito, the two yes. Dannys yep. of socialism crossover and make a movie That'd together. Be great. Please. Yes. Whatever the opposite of a buddy cop movie is. Buddy mm. something criminal else. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the opposite <laughs> would be criminals. The opposite of the cop is a criminal, well, I think. I'm pretty sure. Actually, the cops are the criminals, oh. buddy. Exactly. Drop the mic saying the least controversial thing in my mind. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, so after this, we see, uh, well, the thing is also at her art show, the, the funny part is she recites a line from the last dragon yes. uh, over and over again. He will throw <laughs> cell phones and pig's blood at her and shit. Yeah. It's kind of brutal a little yeah. bit at a certain point. And then, you know, she has her thing with squeeze. Um, all this is happening. And this is when cash that same night goes to a party at Steve Lift's house and boys, some shit happens mm-hmm. at this party. So they go to a party at Steve Lift's house, once again played by Army Hammer, delivering a performance that can only be fueled by human blood. (laughs) 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 And maybe flesh? We don't know. Maybe he he uses it like the blood is the hummus and the flesh is the pita. You know, I don't know. I'm not going to judge the guy who made a cannibal. He did give off big cannibal energy in this movie. He definitely had the energy of someone who has at least tasted another yeah. human being before. Yeah. Which I think works perfectly for yeah. what he's playing. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was I'm gonna, I was going to say this for later, but I was I was going to say that I, even though there's a bunch of good actors in this movie, I kind of think Army Hammer gives the best Probably. performance. I think for the character he's trying to execute, he, he just, he does mm-hmm. it perfectly. Yeah. But yeah, so they're at, they're at his party. Um, Amari Hardwick is there as well, and it's like, hey, you gotta, you gotta meet Steve. Steve's the guy, and so he go, he goes up to him, and um, <laughs> there, he, he's he's crazy. He does like there's like macho mind games with him, where he's like, oh, don't call me this, don't call me mm-hmm. that, and then when he's like, oh, but you're a great salesman, it, it's insane. And then they're telling stories, and you know, he Steve Lift is telling one of those, I'm on a safari, and this guy died, and I had to crawl over him to grab a gun and shoot a tiger. And he asks, he, he keeps... No, he shoots a, Seth, real quick, he shoots a rhino, yes. and it shows the rhino's head or the mantelpiece, and it has, it's, it's full, it's like completely pieced <laughs> yeah. together. Because he said it took like two magazines is, to shoot it. The story is true, and it's fucked mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, But man? the thing that Steve Lewis is so obsessed with is he's like, oh, this guy, Cash, is from Oakland. He must have crazy stories. Let me get him to tell him. Because basically he's trying to, you know, bait out stories about, you know rough neighborhood and being black in Oakland. being black in Oakland. Exactly. So he goes, he goes for that and cash is like, I don't have any stories. And this is when I think what we can agree is the most uncomfortable scene in the entire movie happens because then Steve is like, okay, well, if you can't tell a story, you can definitely rap, which one is uncomfortable because he's just telling a black person they can rap without any knowledge of if they can or not. Um, and then he's like, okay, he's like, I can't really do that though. He's like, oh, but you have to. So then when when Cash tries to rap, he just is like, my name is Cash, and I'm here <laughs> to say that I'm going to rap in a rap-in way, and no one cares. And then he just starts yelling the N-word mm. over and over and over. And then as if it was a call to action, the crowd <laughs> says the exact lines back to him. And I gotta say, like, you're, he's just saying the N-word and shit over mm. and over and over. And the crowd is pretty much entirely white and it is it was a shocking in the theater at home shocking to watch very very uncomfortable 
I just want to pause real fast, by the way. In this scene, I looked. I was very careful. I looked at every person's face. Army Hammer no didn't one, say it. No, no, no one is singing along to the song in that in that scene. Really? Not a single person has opened their mouth, and I think that's cowardly. All right? Listen here, you little fuckers. Deliver the goddamn performance the director asked for, yeah. all right? I didn't notice that. Say the word! The I noticed script. the Army Hammer wasn't... Yeah. I noticed Army Hammer wasn't even moving his lips. I was like, maybe maybe Army was the one guy who they were like, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, but the rest they did. already... Uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't Army Hammer, they already knew about the other stuff coming up the pipeline, and it was like we don't want to add another controversy onto that. Let, let, let's get let's give the guy a yeah. break, or else he, he he'll eat us um, if we make him look bad. Yeah. Well, I, I think for him, I think for Army Hammer's character, for Steve Lift, anyways, he doesn't care about this. This is his auditioning yeah. cash for what he asked for Ooh, next. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to making sure that he he will uh you know he'll do the dance if he has to. And yeah. Well, also, before that, there's a scene where Omar Harbert's character comes out and talks to for the first, only time in the year talks in his actual voice to Cash, right? Yeah. And interestingly, he calls him Young Blood, which yes. is the same thing that Danny Glover's character calls him, which I think tells us that he was Danny Glover spiritually at a certain point in his life before, and is now sold out completely, amazingly up too high and ladder to be where he is now. So yeah. That's what he to be. So this is when he's like, hey, go down upstairs, down the stairs, up to the right, and go to the magenta door at the end of the road. And the thing about it is when he goes to this magenta door, all you see are slightly different shades of green doors until he gets to that one. And so Steve lifts like high out of his mind. He gets um, cash to do an insane amount of cocaine. And then is like, I got to show you our next business venture. And Cash is like, cool. I got to take a piss real quick. So he's like, okay, go to the jade door down the hallway. This is a funny scenario to set up because all the doors are fucking green and jade is green. So you see where this is going. He goes in the wrong room. And Ben, what the fuck does he see in there? Uh, <laughs> a giant anthropomorphic horse slash human hybrid with probably, uh, I can't, not to mince words here, the largest cock I've ever seen on a movie screen. Just fall over, just screaming yeah. in agony and pain. He is begging for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it felt like the R-rated version of the scene from Pinocchio when the little kids are turning into donkeys. And <laughs> you know, Ben, that's actually a great comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, that's I forgot. Yeah, where instead of the, um, instead of the beer, it's uh, cocaine. And they're all crying for their moms, and it's just, it's it's horrific the, all the way around. But if you went into this movie cold, had you just seen the trailer, which by the way, the trailer does not tell you what kind of movie this is at all. It paints it as something completely no, no, different. No, 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 no. If you go into this movie cold and you hadn't been spoiled on this yet, you could, you could say it's good, you could say it's bad, but I earnestly believe it's probably one of the greatest twists in movie history. Just because, like, how the yeah. fuck do you go from this... And then there's nowhere else early in the movie where you expect horse-human hybrids to come into the picture. So, Ben, 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 Ben. Equisapiens. Sorry, excuse me. I apologize. Uh, where Equisapiens get brought into the pic- picture. It's an absolute shock. Right before that scene happens, I paused the movie because I was watching it with my wife. And I was like, what do you, if you, you're a you've seen a lot of movies. What do you think is going to happen for the rest of this movie? And she's like, oh, he'll probably, you know, he'll be bad for a little bit. He'll realize he's too bad. He'll turn back. I'm like, okay. So you kind of get the broad strokes, you understand. And then I press play. Horseman comes up a minute later. And she was just like, oh, <laughs> it's this kind of movie. 
I was trying to say, Ben, I, I, the, the way you mm-hmm. said it was so poetic. The largest cock you're seeing <laughs> in a movie. And I was saying to myself, I've seen bigger. But then I was thinking that was in fetish <laughs> porn and not a motion picture. Which I think this might hold, this has got to hold the record, right? For like largest. For on, on a, mo- a theatrically released movie? I, I think, think so. I think I before this, maybe the movie, the 2011 uh, comedy film Hall Pass was probably the only one before that. There was a yeah. big one in there. I, I remember when I, I remember when I was watching that movie. I was like, Jesus Christ! But then this, I think this one took the cake, though. If Lars von Trier wasn't such a freaking <laughs> coward, we would have seen Willem Dafoe's <laughs> full hog, and it might be bigger than these horse penises. From the stuff that Lars von Trier has said, he said that when they tested the movie for people, they were unsettled. First of all, they're watching yeah. Antichrist, and the thing they're most unsettled by is how big the penis. <laughs> Yes. I'm like, did you guys not see the rest of the fucking movie? And they, <laughs> no, must, they no. must, I think they just closed their eyes after they saw the mm-hmm. big penis. So they had to stay to digitally shrink down Willem Dafoe's penis because it was too Christ. big. So no, they, they, they got a porn star. Oh, they got, yeah, they got place, they got a porn star to have a more realistic penis than the Hollywood actor. Also, I heard that during a performance of King Lear, uh, Ian McKellen showed up with no pants on, and everyone was like, wow, <laughs> holy shit! That's wild! That's so, amazing. Just know, apparently that's what's going on. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, hey. Hey, more power to them. I have a note on this in a second, but but yeah. Okay, well, so then the, the funny thing is, after all this happens, and you see this complete agony... Steve Lift is like, dude, that's what I was going to tell you if you watched the video. You, He literally says, you wouldn't even be scared if you saw that if you talked to me first. <laughs> Once again, Army Hammer is truly delivering this like it's his mm-hmm. life. And I, I, I yeah. do commend him for that. And then one point I really, really liked, and I don't, it's not like something I think is immediately noticeable, is that every time he plays the video for Cash... Cash is sitting in a spot where he has to like turn around and see it. Like he's never sitting yeah. at a comfortable angle to watch this. I think it's kind of just to kind of show the literal discomfort he's get he's in while he watches yeah. this, and the kind of the uh, superiority that Steve Lift wants to show among people that you know you have to watch it like this while I get to look straight at it. There's there's some some macho stuff going mm-hmm. on there. So yeah, he then makes a proposal to Cash that he is going to create a human-horse hybrid species called the Equisapiens that are, you snort, basically coke, and turn into a fucking... A 70% uh, chance to turn into a horse. He yes. doesn't tell us what the other 30% go through. Didn't That's mention the scary that thing. Information. <laughs> Sorry, sir. What happened most of the time? Um, and so he's like, listen, they're going to develop their own culture and their own society. Okay, cool. We're going right ahead of ourselves here, but all right. And I need you to be the Nartlicking Jr. of Equisapiens. Which, that that line in a vacuum. Can you imagine the one day, like, imagine Martin Luther King was alive and a time traveler, or like, it's back in the day. He's alive. A time traveler goes back and is like, by the way, they make a movie in 2018 where they want to make the MLK of <laughs> Equisapiens. And he's just like, what the fuck does that mean? What do you I, mean? Seth, you have activated a memory in my brain. Did y'all, y'all were a little bit uh, younger than me. Uh, did y'all also in school watch an animated film yes. about time traveling yes. children who yes. go back in time, they meet MLK, they save him from the sniper's bullet, they go back to the future, and racism <laughs> is real again in America. So they have to go back to the past. <laughs> 
And let him die. Do you yes. remember this? It is one of the most deranged things I've ever watched. And back when I was a kid, I didn't really yeah. realize it. I just remember it. <laughs> what I just remember it ending thing. with "Ain't no mountain high enough" while they're painting the the, yes. the mural <laughs> on the on the brick wall. Which had to be the most expensive part of the movie was getting the right to oh that my song. God. And the thing was, we watched it more than oh, yeah. once. I gotta go and say, we just elementary school alone probably watched it. It was five a or yearly tradition. Times. Anytime. It, Anytime it was MLK Day, or if the history teacher didn't have a lesson plan, they're like, throw on the, the time traveling MLK thing real quick. Bring in the little TV with yeah. the strap on it. Um, Absolute psycho shit. It's crazy. I rewatched the ending of it recently, and I was like, it is exactly mm-hmm. as I remember. It's one of them that's been burned into my brain. And yeah, this movie has, this, that line has a lot of that energy about the MLK Sapiens. But his and he's like, all right, it's so a five-year contract, whatever. Here's a hundred million dollars. We're gonna give you to do this whole thing. Think about it, whatever. And don't forget that the best part is you're gonna have a horse cock, which we talked about this already. But here's my note. All right, is in real life, most people are not equipped to handle a horse cock. Most people aren't equipped to handle anything above six or seven inches, or even smaller than that. In a lot of cases. It doesn't matter what hole it's going into. It's generally not allowed with kind of size. And the girth of a horse cock is also way too big. In my, But in my mind, it makes sense Steve Lip would say that. Because he's a fucking moron who doesn't understand what is actually pleasurable for other people. So of course you would think having a giant dick is good. And it's just it's such a perfect line for him to say that. The way, and then he delivers it with such seriousness, too, to Cash. Yeah. Like, this is going to sell him. He's like, by this the way, right there here. is a huge upside. Literally a <laughs> huge upside in this deal. You're going to have horses. Now, of course, you're only going to pretty much probably be having having sex with the other Equisapiens. Mm. And who knows if you're if anyone's even going to enjoy that. Who knows if Equisapiens are even built properly for that. I'm not sure if you've ever seen horses having sex. I have. The penis is that long because it has to angle itself in a certain way. It only gets a couple inches in there in the first place. So it's not like the whole horse cock is being used, even for horses. I'm just saying. Have you guys seen think I Think You Should Leave with, with Tim Robinson? <laughs> yes. Ben, have you seen uh, that show? I've seen the first season. Have you, I can't remember if it was in the first season where they have the horse ranch that specifically breeds horses with small penises so men don't feel <laughs> inadequate. But... It, <laughs> I got a lot of that yeah. from this, and it was yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> it sounds incredible. So, anyways, yeah. So from here, this is um, this is an interesting part of the movie, obviously, because now Cash is made aware that there are horse people, and his first mission is to get it out into the open. So, um, fi- finds out that he he was able to leave a video message, or the Equisapien left a video message for uh, Detroit. So they have video evidence of these horse people existing and of Steve Lift, you know, abusing them, saying he'll turn them into glue, which I don't know, do the Equisapiens, do they still have the same properties that make glue? Who knows? Um, and then he he goes on, I got the shit kicked out of me, um, so they can show this video to people, literally has to swim through a pit of shit, is caked in human, well, I'm assuming is human and animal feces at the end, shows the video and then Worry Free has like its best profits mm-hmm. ever because people are interested in the Equisapiens. Mm-hmm. 
And there are folks who are like, can't wait to become Equisapiens. Yeah. Who are like saying this is a great like religious thing. Which is really in the modern day what is tying this movie to Elon Musk for me is the the people who no matter what he says will follow him and be like, oh no, that's great. What he's talking about, that's yeah, the cool I'm gonna thing. Buy a te- I'm going to buy a Tesla. Um, I'm going to live in the Tesla gated community that he's trying to build. I'm going to pay for Twitter blue. Uh you know, yeah. the, and and then also another little interesting touch I saw there. It's like both it, it showed like them at the stock market, and like both people on both sides uh, of the political spectrum were celebrating this because you know, of fucking course they would. It's like it, it's a like mo- a more way for yeah. us to gain profit wh- without us really having to do the work. Just leave it to the desperate de- desperate people. It's like drafting poor people into the army. You know, only the people that are really desperate enough are going to want to do this. Yeah. You know, reminds me of, by the way, and to, to bring it in current times, is the AI stuff. It's always people who are like, wow, look at the cool things the computer can do. I press a couple of buttons and it takes away <laughs> someone's job. And so it kind of yeah, reminds me of yeah. that, you know? I, I agree. I agree. People just being like, look at this terrible mm-hmm. thing. I love it. So. So, yeah. And then. Yeah, that was yeah. scarily realistic. Yeah. And this is kind of, in my opinion, the weakest part of the movie is basically the conflict mm-hmm. resolution. Um, which is where Cash kind of ha- hatches a little bit of a plan, you know, to use some of Detroit sculptures and some good organizing by Squeeze and the ability to free some of the Equisapiens to kind of like get revenge on um, Regal View and Steve Lift in a, in a, in a way. Um, very, very hilarious scene when the, the Equisapiens <laughs> stop that truck and their dicks are out. It's a very, I think it's, this is a, I, think, I actually like the ending to me. It's a very important thing because mm-hmm. the first step is we go in, we stop the, the scabs from getting through, right? They, yeah. they stop them with, with football players and statues. And what happens? More fucking mercenaries show up. SWAT team shows up and start beating the absolute fuck out of everyone in sight. Just yeah. beating them down. And then we cut to Equisapiens show up and they break it up and they are able to go home. I'm sure you'll probably know this, but do y'all know, know who does the voice of Demarius, the first Equisapien? No. Forrest Whitaker. Oh, oh, that's amazing. And he was one of the producers of the movie. Oh, yeah. That's I got, amazing. I got the cast list pulled up yeah. here. I saw him listed as Demarius, and for the life of me, I could not remember who in the movie was Demarius. I, I thought it was just like somebody who showed up on TV, and I just missed it. But okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And so, yeah, basically, they they get a bit of a victory. You know, they stop they stop this SWAT team. And everyone kind of goes home. Is that an appropriate way to describe how that what happens there? They 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 the union is formed yeah. and they have improved conditions for workers at Regal View. Yeah, it is that that's how yeah. it's portrayed. And then the f- craziest thing though, guys, I completely forgot how this movie ended <laughs> when I first seen it. I absolutely forgot that turns out that Cash did actually end up taking the horse mm-hmm. cocaine and becomes one and then goes to Steve Lift's house to beat the <laughs> fuck out of him. Did not remember that at all, but very funny mm-hmm. way in the movie. Yeah. This is why I like the ending. Cause it shows the three stages, right? The first stages we show up, we, 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 we stop the scabs. We win the, the, that fight. Swat shows up, beats the fuck out of us. We have allies. The same struggle, they say. Like, same fight, same struggle shows up. Helps us out. We win. We get our union. It's all good. We have rights now. We're workers. We're, we're, we're strong and all this kind of stuff. And they still fucked him over. 
They still fucked him over. So what's the last step? We're done fucking around. We're just going to come kill you. And we're going to just fucking kill you. That's it. That's the only thing that happened. The only thing that really changed things is just killing the motherfuckers. And the movie is like, being militant about your unions is good and everything. But in the end, you'll come down to a much more direct fight. So prepare yourself for that. Yeah. I, I did like, when I when I saw the final scene again, I did, I did like that touch. Um, but I do worry. I now I, it's one of those things where I got a little bit too connected to Cash. Now I'm like, I really hope he's okay. <laughs> hope he unhorses himself somehow with the the secret sauce or whatever it's called. Are horses bullet resistant? I imagine they can probably take more bullets than a human can. I was gonna say probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, horses are like ninety percent mm-hmm. muscle, mm-hmm. so I imagine they can probably take take some shots to their soft tissue. I do like that his the way that Cash talks to Steve Luthor over the intercom is like, sorry to bother you. I'm Cash's Green from Stomp a Mulhole in Your Ass Incorporated or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. It's a it's a really good line. And that's kind of the movie. It yep. it, it, it ends it's 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 essentially it's a mid credit scene in that they roll one credit and then jump right back yeah. into the movie. Um But it was it it's a very interesting uh, execution is an interesting um, exploration of you know leftist thought on screen. We don't you don't get like I was I was kind of talking I was talking to Ben about this before the podcast started. Is I have an argument in my head that almost every movie is anti-capitalist. I also have an argument that every movie is pro-capital back capitalism, but for different reasons. Um, but there very few of them get to be as direct as sorry to bother you because most. Most artists aren't as directly leftist. At least people who get to make major motion pictures in Hollywood aren't as directly leftist as someone like Boots Riley. Um, and also, uh, this that was kind of the point of the movie. Was I wanted to make this movie kind of about the way I think. Because um, Boots Riley was a telemarketer at one point in his life. And he wanted to make a movie about what it was like and how he wanted to make a union. And I guess he was also like, what if I, there was horse people <laughs> at the same company? Um, that he didn't really explain that idea very much as to where, where, what inspired that. Um, but yeah, so at the end of the day, I thought it was an incredible, um, exploration of those ideas. And so I wanted to get some, some final thoughts. Oh, so well, that's so got one interesting, uh, Boots Raleigh fact just from out is that about, about pro capitalism with movies is that when it first came out, he was a fan of the film Red Dawn. The original? Yes. Okay, good. No, why the fuck we watch? He really yeah, likes yeah. Josh Peck. <laughs> he, yeah, he apparently would get into arguments with adults because he was a child at the time, saying that the Soviets would invade one day. <laughs> We'd be ready for this. Mm-hmm. And just think about how far he came from from that to to where he is now. You know? Yeah. It's like how at one point in my life, every movie I saw was the best movie yeah. I ever seen. Shrek mm-hmm. one was the best movie. Shrek two well, was the best movie. Shrek three was the best movie, but the now that I've now that I've grown up, I've become an adult. I realize that Shrek is yeah. the best movie. <laughs> we didn't need to make anything else. There's also a really poignant line, by the way, back in the part where they're they're trying to like make people aware of what's what they're doing at Worry Free. When um, I think it is Detroit who says that people don't try and solve problems; they try yeah. and get used to them. 
Yeah. yeah. You just mm -hmm. get used to the idea of the problem. Which is pretty close to one of our very favorite <laughs> lines from similarly leftist movie yep. Ready Player One. Um, I mean, I mean, it I'm, is. I'm saying. It, a lot it of similarities between the two yeah. movies. That line, the VR from earlier, like that they share. They share a lot of blood. Yeah, I'm sure Terry Crews is somewhere in Ready Player One. He's playing. Some <laughs> I'm sure his character back. from Everybody Hates Chris is part of the big battle at the end. He's just buried in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh wait, no, that's in. Space oh Shandy yeah, sorry, Legacy. my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, but yeah. Final thoughts. Uh, let's start with let's start Smith. Wait, how do you feel overall about the movie? I mean, I think it's one of it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I think watching it again this time um, did show me a lot of the problems that I that I'd overlooked. There are there are problems with the film. Yeah, there is, like you sure. said, a lot of first movie energy, a lot of a lot of amateurish stuff that is done. There's a lot of stuff that's not amateurish though. It's 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 a, a good balance. But I do think you can definitely see some problems with plotting and some character work that could be resolved. I think with more with more experience and everything. Um, as a film, I like it perfectly fine. Um, as a political message, I like it even more. Um, and I wish more movies took the swings that do and don't work in this movie, you know, just yeah. do, just swing with the fences and, and do wild shit. And that's, that's why I like a lot of movies. Um, they just, they just go for it, you know? And I think that a lot of filmmakers could take that away from this movie is just make movies that go for it. You know? Yeah. Ben, Mr. Movie, Ben, Mr. Mm -hmm. Movie Powell Roll. from famous world, world famous Twitch streamer. Tell us how you feel. Right. Yeah, peanut butter falcon <laughs> star. <laughs> Rolls right off the tongue. Uh, so, yeah. like like I said earlier, like even upon second rewatch, I still do like this movie. I'm not. I'm still not crazy about it. Uh, like like yeah. kind, kind of the things that were mentioned earlier. It has like big first movie energy. There's a lot of big swings that it takes, and it would be really cool if they stuck with those swings, like especially stylistically throughout the entire movie but it just feels like he has all these ideas and he doesn't really know how to it's either too much or too little and i really respect what this movie does with a 3.2 million dollar budget uh to not yeah. only get the names in it that are in it but also just the use of practical effects as far as i could tell in this movie as far as i could tell like all the all the uh, Equisapiens, those were guys in suits, and if there were bits of CG, I couldn't really tell. Maybe, like, some parts of the end, but you had those suits and, like, the practical stuff, like, in the scene where he's transitioning from the garage to the apartment, like, all of that stuff, you could tell all that was practical, the TV splitting open, the other one folding up, lamp, the bed, all that was super practical, and the fact that you could do all that, I mean, because they couldn't really, probably couldn't really afford good CG, so, like, it had to be done on camera. So I, I respect what all it was able to do and accomplish with $3.2 million. Uh, and I, I appreciate the message of it, but at times the movie just kind of feels disjointed in terms of just, like, just general tone. And, but, like, that's the dude's, that's the dude's first movie. He obviously knows how to write a story. I did some research. I went through his IMDb page uh, before this, and I found out that, I, I, I'm guessing, like, super bad was inspired by a short story that he wrote or a story that he wrote or something because he was listed in the credits as super bad. Boot wow, Riley, Riley yeah. was? Hold on. Let, let That's me, amazing. Let, We're all yeah, furiously let me, Googling. Let me just double check yeah. this real quick. And if I'm wrong, you can cut this out. But 
Yeah, like he has a writer credit for, or maybe no, maybe it's the soundtrack. He's on the soundtrack. Oh, because one of the coup songs. Oh, that's what it is. I'm I'm just stupid. My bad. Yeah, I I thought he had like a bunch of like short stories and stuff that he wrote at one point. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite mutiny. One of the, I think the that just best sh- song. That just shows you how familiar I, I am with Boots Riley and his band. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little ignorant um, when it comes to his work, to be honest. But well, I mean, as far as movies go, he's yeah. only made this one, and now his show on Amazon, I'm a Virgo, are the only two mm-hmm. things he's made. So um, you're not yeah. super far behind. But yeah, like overall, I did enjoy this movie more than I didn't. Uh, like a lot of the problems I mentioned, like they can just be counted as nitpicks and they can just kind of be looked over. I think on Letterboxd, I gave it a, I gave it 3.5 stars. So a nice solid, a nice solid nice. seven out of 10. Yeah. As- and yeah, I, I echo a lot of that. I, I really do love the movie. I, I saw it the first time and I just thought it was incredibly inventive. I think that now there's, there are quite a few problems. I did want to give one final shout out to performance in the movie that I love, which was Jermaine Fowler playing mm-hmm. Salvador. Every time I see that guy in something, I find him to be really, yeah. really funny. And the time of the movie when him and Cash are about <laughs> like about to fight, but they're just saying nice things to each other, I almost feel like that mm-hmm. was improvised because there was just a, there was just like a look of chemistry in the moment where it just looked like they were just making yeah. this shit up. It was really, really funny, and I, I just I really yeah. like performance. So. Um, but yeah, I still think Army Hammer hopped up on the blood of uh, a seventeen-year-old girl <laughs> was just uh, crazy. God, guys, can we? We need some confirmation on if mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, we really need to know if the Army Hammer stuff is true because it's funny to make jokes about. But I, I, I yeah. just have to know. Like, there's like a net. I think it's like a Hulu documentary or something about this whole situation, and like. I, Bold of them to do this, especially since I don't know how much real information we have to go off here, but. Yeah. Yeah, I also, I'm just burning curiosity. All right, boys. Well, that was our discussion of the film. Sorry to bother you. I am Smith. You can find me on Twitter at MCSurf. I'm Seth. You can find the stuff that I. I'm Ben. You can follow me pretty much on most social media at the Ben Powell. If you just whatever it is, just type in the Ben Powell. Most likely, I'll show up. Especially on Twitch, twitch.tv slash the Ben Powell. Uh, I'm currently streaming the new Resident Evil Four. I'm having an absolute blast because I love the original. I played that for the first time a couple of years ago. Also on Twitch, uh, there's no video evidence of it on there anymore, but I, I did play it. Have, having a good time. Uh, also, uh, I don't know if you guys have been plugging it or not, but as of right now, Southern Smackdown is no more. Uh, we don't do the podcast anymore. Yeah, but yeah, like it's just like work got busy, and you 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 know how it is. You know how life is. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's okay though, because one yeah. day we get to die, and I'm really looking forward to that day. <laughs> I I just hope it's not. I just hope it's not soon. Ben, what happens I when just you hope die? It's not soon. Hmm? Hey Ben, what happens when you die? Uh, I'll find happiness. That's what's going to (laughs) happen. I hope we all become ghosts and just get to fucking hang out on the earth still and watch living people do their thing. And just also, just there's a big, there's a big ghost fuck pile once it's all over. (laughs) 
ghosts. Everyone's having one big fucking ghost orgy in the fucking that, ground. I guess you'd fall into the center of the earth, wouldn't you? I guess you'd probably fall into the earth's core because you're yeah. a ghost. <laughs> you just wind up in the molten core of the earth. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be hot. I'd there say I'll say that. You know, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right. <laughs> Let's be done here, y'all. This is this is the end of the podcast. Bye. Goodbye.